you're just going to keep your video off. So I got to guess what your face looks like. And so this is going to oh, be my video. Not how does, how do you, you're a there doctor, Nick. How do you not know that? There you are. Hi, hey, Nick. there I am. Oh, wow. Your sound is so good this time. Yay. I've got, yeah, I got the microphone thing. Wow. So. You're, you're crushing it. I'm pretty certain this is something I can do. Well, we'll see. We'll see if you earn that degree and those letters after your name. We'll see. <laughs> I should say degrees, plural. Oh, hi. You're listening to Service from Hell, a podcast featuring people that are currently in customer service positions or the lucky few that got out and all of the good, bad, and infinitely irritating things that go along with that work. I'm actor and writer Kate Gaffney, and I'm uniquely qualified to discuss this as I used to work at a very busy and very popular comedy club in Los Angeles. And at least one of you listening right now has probably grabbed me and told me you were ready to order when I was running around like a crazy person. So let's eat. Joining us via Zoom for the second time on the podcast while he is on call for the hospital, I would like to welcome our guest, Dr. Nicholas J. Mayer. Nick is a nephrologist working on the front lines of of the COVID battle, but he didn't start out that way. His full bio can be heard on his other episode called Dr. Nicholas J. Mayer is a doctor because of TV. He really likes it when I emphasize the doctor stuff. It doesn't make him uncomfortable at all. So go listen to that episode if you haven't yet. Um, He really is a doctor and y'all asked about his episode a ton. We got a lot of feedback. Thanks, everybody. In fact, they thought you were funny, Nick. So let your ego let that sink in, which I found to be completely untrue. But what are you going to do? So you all asked for him a lot. So he's here to answer your questions. We're going to break from the normal format. And, you know, like I said, his full episode where he answers all this, the questions in the way that we normally do it, you can already hear uh, it's, it aired several months ago. But hopefully this can make people feel hopeful, fingers crossed, and learn how (laughs) one of the questions we got is how people can safely have sex during quarantine. So Dr. (laughs) Mayor, are you ready? We have a lot for you. Do you want to add anything to the stuff I already said or do you want to dive right in? Um, no, I, I just, I want us to try to work the word doctor in as frequently as possible. <laughs> you know, I'm doing it just to piss you off. Okay, <laughs> <good>. <laughs> okay. So from your last episode, so we're going to do this in two parts from your last episode, there were people that had questions specific to some stories that you told on that episode. And then we're going to dive into some COVID questions that people had. So just based off of your last episode. And as I said, audience, if you haven't listened, go listen, cause this won't make a ton of sense to you, but a few people actually asked how how, and this is like, we're going hard early, um, how you could tell that the customer at the spaghetti factory was choking when it seemed like no one else could tell that because people seem concerned that they're going to miss the signs of choking, particularly a couple parents asked about this. So if you're open to diving into how you could tell that that elderly person at the table was choking. Yeah. You know, it's usually there's the, this is a, a uh, in all the textbooks, the person trying to push a wa- glass of water down the throat of the chokey sign where there's always someone standing right next to the person. In this case, it was the uh, son trying to feed the mom who's choking a glass of water, you know, and you, you'll see that happen. Like, you know, at, at, I've seen a few people choke at restaurants. There's always someone standing there trying to push water into them. Um, which is not the right thing to do. You don't want to do that. You know, with 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 this, uh, you know, it's like, do you ever have that moment where you see something that you've seen a million times, but it catches you off guard because you're in a different situation? You're you're mm. just not in that situation, you know? Yeah. Um, th- I think that is how the, this kind of thing goes. Most people just aren't ready for it. But yeah, m- someone's in distress. And you start to think uh, about why they are they uh, in distress and not talking to you, and and um, might turn. A, I'm a little colorblind, so the colors don't match 
matter to me so much, but you know, they usually turn a, a little bit of a purplish color. At, and then um, that's when you kind of go, Oh, you're eating a meal. They must be choking. And it's usually the, 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 the uh, people who are more susceptible to that. You know, I've, I've seen patients who are, we have these patients in the hospital who are just incapable of keeping the, they put the food in their mouth and it falls right out. You know, you, you walk into the room and most of whatever the meatloaf is on their shirt and, or whatever. And they insist on bringing these dinner trays in and bringing them like brisket and all this stuff. So you actually kind of see this happen a lot where someone's just kind of like talking to you and you can hear the ham in the back of their throat. And, you know, so you know, I'm, I'm kind of used to seeing this, but you know, I just, I, I don't think it's something that you'd miss if it really came down to it. You know, if someone's concerned about that, they'd, they'd see, uh, the person they're with, uh, kind of struggling and you just see that they were eating something. They should, <laughs> it took a little bit of work. Do so. kids indicate in the same way? I think this was not the way the question was asked to us, but I'm, I'm guessing this is kind of what they meant in the way that an adult might be like throwing their arms or going like, like, you know, grabbing their throat. Do kids indicate in the same way, traditionally speaking, if they're choking? You know, I don't, I don't really know. I've never, you know, I'm not a pe- pediatrician. When I was doing my rotations in med school, I never really saw a choking victim and our kids, thankfully never really choked on much. I mean, every once in a while they'd be eating a hot dog or something and their eyes would get all watered up and then they'd, you know, kick yeah. it out. But yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think it, it's not something that happens that often and uh, parents are so nervous about it. And, and, and I mean, if, it, if our food had to be cut up into, if our food, like if my sister would cut her kids' food, hot dogs into like mincemeat. And if, if that was required, I think we would have died off a long time ago. <laughs> you know? So I just, I, I think, uh, you know, it, it, it's something to kind of consider if someone's in trouble, but I don't think it's uh, the... Uh, the paramount comfort. Yeah. yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah, based on the response and also parents in my life that I know that worry about it, I just... Yeah, I was very curious. Okay, so that's that. Robbie in Denver asked if you have ever fainted or barfed the first time you saw things when you were working on the floor, either in residency or in practice. Oh, I don't remember. I've never been one of those people that gets like totally squeamish about the blood. Um, there were people in our training who had such a bad problem, they went off to being a pathologist, which means you just look at stuff after it's been removed from people. Really? <laughs> the blood was such a problem. They couldn't handle being on the floors or they, you know, just had to do dermatology or something, you know, it's just, um, no blood, but yeah, for any time, I don't want to get everyone listening, um, sick to their stomach, but stuff with the oropharynx just makes me sick. I, I can't stand it. And some of the worst are these people who, uh, had a hard time with, um, getting off of a ventilator. They get a thing called a trach in their neck and, I'll just say that thing gets kind of nuts. Uh, well, I, I think people are probably more curious about that than you think, especially now because we keep hearing the word ventilator and people are on ventilators. So, and can you go back, Oro, whatever the fuck word you used? Can you speak to us <laughs> like we don't know, Nick? Because I don't know what you've just they, said. Like all that gross mucus and stuff that can mm. cake up, uh, that is what gets me sick to my stomach, you know, and that I, I have a, that's my, the thing I have the hardest time with. And, uh, you know, anyone who has like, ventilator or um a tube in their neck when they can't get off the ventilator that attaches to a ventilator there's like 
you know, every morning you wake up and you got something in your head, you have to cough out in the, in the uh, bathroom. Oh, um, that just sits there. God. <laughs> and oh. it, that is, uh, that's pretty terrible, but You're yeah, t- that, and you know, the other thing you kind of get used to is the smell of like someone having pooped in a bucket in the room and it's just sitting oh, in there. <laughs> God. You know, or you'll walk down the hallway and you'll walk past the room where you can, it smells like someone just took an entire sewage out of a van and, and put dumped it right into that room. And what, what, you know, happened then is that that person had been constipated for days. And, <laughs> and that's then- what, that's what success smells like. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> that person probably gets to leave the hospital that day. So oh my everybody- God. Oh, so gross. Um, wait, I want to, even though we're not on the COVID questions and this isn't a question we got, but just on the trach thing, does everybody that is put on a ventilator end up with the hole in their throat? No. Um, if you usually after about, if you can't get off a ventilator for like two weeks, uh, usually that's around the time where you start the, when a tube goes in your throat, it has to have a seal around it so that air doesn't just go right around the, the tube and come right back out. So there's an inflatable little, um, cushion or, uh, around the tube. Um, and that balloon kind of seals, uh, the, the tube right past your uh, vocal cords. And if it's in there too long, it can start to like scar up the tissues of your uh, trachea. So after about two weeks, they just say, hey, if we can't get this off, we're going to put a temporary hole in your um, trachea there. And it can always be removed like an earring later on. So it isn't like COVID. Sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll ask in a second. Oh, oh, you you go ahead. Well, is it the same like those people that smoke and we see those commercials where they talk like that? That's it. But then those holes remain permanent, right? So that's not like an earring, right? Well, for some of those people, they've had um, cancer of the airway, upper airway. And so there's like a permanent blockage to their ability to breathe out of their mouth. Oh, okay. um, So that, that... I mean, I, I, don't, I can't say why the people in the commercials, but I, it's usually something like along those lines. It's to scare know? us out of smoking cigarettes, which most of us did in high school and college. Um, yeah. So what were you going to say in relation to COVID, though? You were about to say. Oh, well, you know, they're not you know, the people who get intubated end up remaining intubated for many weeks. And um, they're usually kind of doing terribly uh, at, you know, the whole time. So there's not like this point where we're like, well, if it wasn't for the intubation, we'd be able to get them uh, out of the hospital. So, you know, we're not tracking those people so frequently, um, but at the two week mark or whatever, but, uh, but it's a pretty big decision, right? Like that isn't something that's just lightly decided. Well, you know, what are you going to do? It's like (laughs) two weeks in and they're not like coming off the vent. You've tried a few times and it's just kind of the next step toward getting them closer to the street. Only they're going to get to that street a hell of a lot slower than they would normally have. You know? uh, I get it. Okay. But it's like so many other things. Our bodies uh, do all the work. We, it, when someone gets sick, um, you know, most of what we do is support the body through the illness, giving the person time to recover and recovery means themselves, their bodies themselves healing. So if you get someone who's young and robust, that recovery is going to be pretty swift. You get someone who's old and frail. I mean, their frailty decides how they're going to recover. And if they're too frail for their body to heal itself, it, it won't or it will very slowly. So these are the people that the, the, either the acute insult, whatever the hell it was, was so terrible that um, 
a robust person will take a long time to recover, or the person was so frail that they can't recover on their own or both. These things we do to bridge people through the acute illness, like intubate someone and breathe for them, or you replace their kidneys with dialysis or give them medicine to support their blood pressure. I mean, th those things we do, they're just temporary measures we do. If their body won't recover, there's nothing that we have for that. And, and they eventually end up going on to hospice. You know, I mean, uh. there's just, their body has to do the recovering. We really don't have a lot of control still in 2020 over that. There's not a lot we do that cures people of a disease. Their body has to do that themselves. Wow, that's really interesting. I've never heard it said like that. So just going back to your episode, Robbie had a had a two-part question. I don't know if Robbie is male or female, so I'm just going to say they. They asked, if you have ever diagnosed someone when you were out at a dinner with your family or when you were working with something weird or at least told them they needed to see a doctor based on what you just happened to be observing, which I thought was a super interesting question. Yeah, um, I uh, I try to stay out of it. I Like, sometimes you see things that you kind of need. So I think it was a while ago, a few years ago, I was on a plane coming back to St. Louis with uh, my wife, Hannah, and the uh, guy two rows ahead of me on the aisle seat had this ugly looking thing on the back of his neck. And, uh, you know, it just kind of, it's immediate recall. Boom. There it is. Like, Oh, that's not good. And then I'm thinking, should I say something to this guy or not? You know? And I, I, tell my wife and immediately she's in, she's all about gossip and that kind of stuff. So she's, <laughs> hi Hannah. She's I am too. It. Don't let him shade you. I am the same way. Go ahead. <laughs> she loves the situation. She's like, what are you going to do? Like, so on the way out of the plane, I kind of, when, when we were outside of leaving the uh, terminal, I kind of came up to him like, Hey, and I did it here on purpose. So he had a way to get away from me. Oh, that's, <laughs> no, that's <laughs> thoughtful know? though. So, like I, I'm like, that thing on your neck uh, kind of uh, needs to be looked at. And he's like, oh, yeah, I already got someone who's working on it. I'm like, oh, good. You know, I, I've had family ask me a lot of questions, and I've learned not to do that. A, a family member once wanted to stop smoking. And a thing that we do often is give people a medicine that is for, as part of it, there's, there's a number of things that go into stopping smoking. I mean, you have to, you know, the, I'm not going to get into a smoking lecture here, but one of the things we do is we try to manage the anxiety that comes with stopping nicotine because sure. when you withdraw from nicotine, you become more anxious. So we give a antidepressant called uh, Welbutrin to help manage that anxiety. And it's a short term thing. It's like, you know, three to six months and just gets you through it. And then you, you take the medicine away. Well, this person asked me to um, help them and I'm like, all right, well, you need to do a few other things, but what, what you also, I'll give you this prescription and just let me know. Every time I prescribe this, I'll let you know in a secret. Doctors do the same thing for everyone. Their <laughs> routines are so ingrained that I don't, if I saw you three years ago and we talked about a thing in the office, I know exactly what I said because I say the exact same thing to everyone about the same thing. Jesus, you know, I don't like, know if that's assuaging any anxiety because we all think we're fluffy, <laughs> unique butterflies, Nick. <laughs> Jesus, keep going. <laughs> so, you know, you could say, well, we didn't talk about this. I'm like, I know we did, you know. So um, I know I talked about this because I talk about it with everyone. There's a possibility, although it's extremely rare. Every time you start a medicine for um, depression, any of these medicines that manage the chemicals in your brain, there is the chance of suicide. 
if that happens, stop the medicine, give me a call. You know, it's very low risk. It hardly ever happens. These medicines are given a given one in three have depression in this country. So holy um, shit. Anyway, I found out a few years later, not right away. A few years later, I asked someone, how's that person doing with their smoking? Like, oh, they're still smoking. I'm like, oh, shoot, I gave uh, this medicine. They, they go, oh, yeah, they, they're closer to this person than I am. They stopped that medicine because they were thinking about killing themselves. <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> oh, and that was my lesson. Never, <laughs> ever treat family because there's this second problem. Like there's not, you know, with a doctor and a patient, you, you, you're supposed to be able to tell everything that's going on without any concern. Well, there's this other component of being vulnerable and shame with your family. Sure. That, that and, and people like hide things from you. And uh, she was probably more concerned what I think about her if she reported that. Uh, so thank God nothing happened. But like, you know, that was my lesson. I'm not going to ask if someone asked me about their rash, I would say go see your doctor lines of I would probably see a doctor. <laughs> you know, <laughs> It's always well, if it were me, if that's kind of how I frame the answer. But uh, yeah, I don't answer questions about family anymore because of that, that kind of thing. But are you still the first phone call? I mean, when I broke my arm, I found the doctor in the family and was like, do I have to go get this x-rayed? And like the answer yeah. was, yeah, you do. But <laughs> but <laughs> would you take that phone call? Yeah, I take it like, you know, people are struggling with their situation. I'm kind of like, I've seen this road before, you know, it's kind of like the, I'm kind of like the jungle guide, you know, so yeah. So what they're suggesting makes sense. Just keep up with it. Run it by me. Fine. I'll tell you if it sounds reasonable. I'm not going to tell them exactly what to do. I'm going to let the person caring for them, but I'll, they can run it by me. And yeah, if a guy sounds like a quack, I'll be like, yeah, it's totally nutballs, you know? So you'll be the um, second opinion still. Yeah. What you're saying. Okay, cool. <laughs> so these were just some like random questions I had been gathering from emails that we got. So I didn't credit the, this handful of questions I didn't credit to anyone. Sorry, listeners. How do you handle takeout food um, during this time? Sorry. So now we're transitioning into COVID <laughs> questions. I'm so sorry. I'm doing a great job. Can you tell I'm out of practice? I haven't interviewed in a minute. Holiday time, everybody. <laughs> so sorry. COVID questions now, Dr. Nick. Oh, COVID. All right. <laughs> okay. yeah, take out. I mean, <laughs> yeah, everywhere you're... except for that King Doe around the corner. Is great. <laughs> the shade. Um, <laughs> okay. So I think what this was specifically asking was because people had asked me, like, are you, you had said your family has kind of, you're, you know, you're going to the grocery store, you're doing things sort of yeah. that you have to, to feed your family. So are you, are you personally doing takeout food with your family? Like, are you and your wife like, yeah, the kids can have it? I think, yeah. I mean, I'm my take basically the way this thing is spread is from uh, water droplets that people spit when they're talking or breathing or whatever. And if they agitate their airway enough, that becomes kind of an aerosol. Think of like Febreze, you know, and if you're in a room that someone sprays Febreze on one side of the room, you're probably going to smell it on the other side of the room. It can linger in the air for several minutes. So that's how this is spread. There's no doubt that when someone's preparing food, they can't help themselves from breathing on it. You can go down a rabbit hole where you start to think like, oh my God, I'm just going to hide in a basement. It's just so like one of the side effects of this is you really start to really think how gross we all are, you know, <laughs> but, um, the, you know, the, I don't think the food ha it's cooked as it's cooked. The, the food is, uh, you know, whatever's in the food is killed and it's quickly packaged. I'm, I'm not much more concerned about 
getting sick from the food now than I was before all this. And I, you know, we try to, when we do feel like doing something different and we're just sick of the same three things we cook, one of them being cereal, uh, we're like, you know, we'll get, we'll order something from a local place and try to support these guys who are struggling, you know. Do you Lysol wipe the exterior of the fast food or the takeout uh, once you get it to your house or do you, are you not that extreme? When I, when this whole thing started um, in, in late March, none of us knew what the hell, how this thing would spread, how it behaved, you know, we knew it was terrible. What we were, you know, so all of us who were coming in the hospital were coming home, stripping naked in the garage, running through the house and trying to shield our kids' eyes, you know, before we went upstairs and showered off. I, you know, like had no idea. We were concerned that um, things on the material, on the, on the surfaces of stuff called like fomites is the fancy word for that would would be able to pick it up and then you touch your eye and all of a sudden you're dying. And it turns out that um, this is not spread very, it, I guess it could be spread that way, but it really isn't. We It's not spread by contact. So if you bring stuff home from the grocery store, I don't waste any time touching it, putting it away, eating it, whatever. I'm not worried about any of that. You know, I don't, I don't change clothes when I get home, I like, I basically I wear um, a mask and make sure when I'm going into a place, everyone else is. And that's, that's, those are the, basically the rules and, and, you know, wash your hands, you know? Hello. Um, yeah. If, you know, if I, when I get home, I, the first thing I do is wash my hands. I wash my hands a lot, but that's, those are basically the rules, you know? And, um, as long as you kind of follow those two basic rules, uh, it's fine. Uh, you can go out into the store the thing about Christmas that is kind of tragic is that, you know, everyone knows what the rules are. The rules are if you go into a place, you wear the mask. So what was not even on the table was going to mom's house wearing a mask. Hello. So people would rather just stay in their home than to get together and wear a mask. And, you know, maybe it wasn't a good idea because people fall into old routines when they're at home. Uh, and uh, so maybe they, you know take the mask off, start eating some chips and dip. And pretty soon, you know, they're whatever the heck else they're doing, you know, it's it, but if theoretically these get togethers could still happen if people could just put the food and drink down and talk with a mask on and not feel too weird about it the same way they do at the grocery store. You that's, know? that's interesting. I hadn't thought about that. So one of the questions we got also was what is reasonable since people are clearly unwilling to wear masks. And I thought that was interesting because I see it all the time. I mean, everywhere people, people are taking in-person meetings. I mean, I just don't. Mm -hmm. So, so what is it? What is reasonable since people are, I, I don't know what, maybe this was meaning like what's a reasonable response since people are not wearing masks or I, I don't, maybe I shouldn't have asked this oh, question. Like what do you do when you um, see someone who isn't being, there you go. Least. All right. Answer that question. Good, no, okay, I, good question. <laughs> I, have, I have absolutely no idea what to do with that. I myself um, just try to ignore it and, you know, leave the situation. I'm, I, I, I have um, there's been another wave of people coming into the hospital uh, near the end of the fall from like the Oktoberfest season and then in Halloween. And then there was another wave after uh, Thanksgiving. Really? Already um, we've seen that. Well, of course, I guess we've well, seen that. You know what it is? It's like, it's not like people. So let's, when this first started in St. Louis, I think that the big event that's the super spreader event was um, the St. Patrick's Day stuff at the beginning of March. So 
20-year-old Joe Schmo goes out to the St. Patrick's Day thing with about 20,000 other people from his city. And they all just hang out together, doesn't, doesn't give a shit about anything else. They go home. They're infected. Day five through 14, they're sick. They're not the ones showing up to the hospital. They're spreading it to older family. The older family, there's an incubation period, let's just say seven days. At a day seven, that older family is coming in. So it's, it's like 14 to 21 days after the event when the, the people are hitting the hospitals because it's not the individual who initially got it from the thing. It's the people they came into contact with after the thing. So, you know, after Halloween, it was like about three weeks before. It was about a week before or two weeks before um, Thanksgiving. That was when a lot of plans were just canceled because everyone's like, holy crap, this is getting serious. And after the summer where everyone kind of got a peek at normal again, whatever the hell that is, you know, there, they, people, I, I myself, in, in October, we were making plans for Thanksgiving with a few family and canceled everything, you know. And then um, after Thanksgiving, about a week or two before Christmas, we had another bunch of people getting coming to the hospital, getting intubated, that kind of stuff. I mean, so it's a de- very delayed response, you know. I'm trying to remember what the actual question was before I went it, off on some kind of random. No, no, standard. that was great because I like the question. I should have clarified it, and I didn't. I just wrote it down. I was like, "All right, this came in." I wanted yeah. to. I went and Two looked. Points me. <laughs> no, for sure you saved that. <laughs> um, so I went and looked, and the episode that um, we recorded with you was in. Well, we aired it in June, so that was like I didn't realize it was that long. So in essentially six months, has your sort of perspective on it changed? Because you had said now we're seeing this sort of you know, another wave. And someone had asked about the second, the second strain or whatever that a lot of people are really concerned about. So a, have you, have you sort of changed your approach to it from a treatment perspective and from an expectation perspective? And then B, have you seen, or do you think you've seen the second strain of it? You know, um, we're, we are constantly rethinking how we do this. It's like, we're really making this up in real time. I have never before looked at studies and development. <laughs> All of us who are paying attention to this have, you know, if you're, if you are doing a study, you initially fill out grant proposals and you submit them and then they're either they're approved. And while your study is being like the, the information's being gathered, you got your study in this like limbo place and they're listed. It's a huge list. We're all looking up these studies that are being done in real time. And like, just what questions are people asking? You know, it's like, we're, it, it isn't nearly as um, sexy or interesting as like the Apollo project in the sixties or, but it is like it, 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 every day there's something interesting and new, but overall as much attention is being paid all we're learning is what not to do. You know, Mm. the first time this came through, there was this concern that people would spread the infection if they were sick. So as they got really hypoxic and they came in to the hospital to keep them from spreading it to uh, their other care workers. And they were they were going into like total hypoxic respiratory failure. Uh, There's a condition where your lungs just don't work anymore called ARDS, adult respiratory distress syndrome. And um they were, everyone had it. And so we decided one plus one equals two, intubate them, 
you'll be able to oxygenate them better. You'll be able to protect staff better. And what we learned uh, is that it was a terrible idea for reasons we still don't understand. People, as soon as they were intubated, crumped. They just crumped. Mm-hmm. They fell to pieces. They're, they went into immediate shock. They had this cytokine release syndrome where the same kind of thing, if you had a terrible allergy to something, it just fell apart, you know, started bleeding everywhere. And then they wouldn't get off the vent. Every day was like, it was crushing because every day, no, no improvement was made, yet another problem would happen. They'd get an irregular heart rhythm. They'd start a bleeding thing. Then they'd get a clotting problem, blood clots in the lung, you know, the shock got worse. It was three day, week three, and you were still seeing new problems, super infection, bacterial super infections of the lungs, you know, a new pneumonia. And you know, ultimately, um, the patients I was involved with, about 80% of them died. Uh, that's oh. kind of what the data was. If you had kidney failure in the setting of all that. Now, the second time around, as things have got picked up this fall, we're not intubating anybody unless we have to, they get the highest flow oxygen on the floor, non-invasive pressure support, all that stuff. But they're, we're not intubating them unless it's absolutely a must and they're recovering faster and they're not getting as sick. And it's like, that's one, probably the biggest change, but there's a bunch of other stuff like, you know, we're not trying to inject sunlight or bleach into people. <laughs> I was literally going to ask, you'll see, <laughs> keep going, keep going. That's so funny. I mean, it just, you know, like uh, we're, the Plaquenilf was hot for a minute. Um, the only thing that really seems to work that we have is a, a steroid called Decadron, which um, improves the situation by about 10%. And okay. then there's this uh, antibody called Revs. I can never say it. Medicine's like a Latin. It's a dead language. No one can speak. It's <laughs> Revdesimir. And it, it improves your situation by like another 6 or 7%. So combined with those two, someone's starting to get short of breath, you can improve their situation by about 15%. You know, it, it's, it's what we do, but it's still paltry. Uh, we still don't have anything. The vaccine's coming out. The best vaccine is the one you get. Um, you get it as soon as you can. There is no concern about the vaccine. It's not like you're going to... It's, everyone approaches this question about the vaccine. When people test me about it in the office, my patient's like, well, they got that vaccine. And they look at me like waiting for me to say something, <laughs> you know, or family or whatever. You're either going to get the vaccine or you're going to get the infection several times. Uh, the, the infection is going to not go away. There are going to be pockets of the world that aren't vaccinated. And that's where the infection will remain. And uh, it'll just trade hemispheres every you know, every summer it'll go south, every winter it'll come north, just like influenza does. And unless you can vaccinate the entire world, you're not, there are going to be pockets that the vac, the, that will keep that virus alive. And so the antibodies you get from having this infection only last about two to four months, usually about three. And they're not good. In these studies, you look at, they do the vaccine trials, your antibody load goes trying to do this in the reverse for you. It goes up and then it's flat. Like, you know, it's like going up the side of a table and then it's the top of a table. The antibodies are robust. And compare in comparison, if you look at someone who's been infected, their antibody levels, it's just this paltry, measly, slightly bumpy rise and fall. So your, your immunity, you're, you're, 
that you have from having had the infection is still crap anyway, you know, by comparison to the vaccines. But the vaccine, it may not last for good, but it lasts as long as we've been testing it. The antibody levels have not yet started to fall in any of the test subjects. So it's long, much longer than having gotten. um, And if there there are probably going to be boosters that you need to take and like the influenza vaccine you get every year, probably. But you don't get to choose either get the vaccine, get the infection or neither. You know, it's like you will get the you will get infected. Your number is going to come up soon enough. It's so I know that the consequences of getting infected are terrible. And I'm not talking about the death rate. I mean, a third of people who get this have a serious infection. They're out for two weeks. You know, they have to cancel work and they have permanent damage, you know, respiratory stuff. It could be the new asbestos. um, People people still have memory problems months after they have this thing. So, you know, there's going to be, it's going to be another risk factor like diabetes, I think, in the mix uh, for organ disease. The side effects of the vaccine aren't your problem. So everyone's testing me out like, well, shoot, is this vaccine something we need to get? Yes, get the damn vaccine. What about the side effects? What side effects? Get the damn vaccine. You know what side effects are if you don't get the vaccine. You're going to get sick. You're going to have at least two weeks out of work. You may not even be sick, but you have a one in three chance you will be. Um, You probably spread it to someone you love. You know, just get the goddamn thing. Is there a difference between the two? Because I you previously said the the best vaccine is just the one you get. So are were you did that mean it doesn't matter if it's Pfizer or if it's I forget the other company? Just get it. No, they're all great. They're, they're all great. They're okay. all over. I mean, we were hoping for a vaccine that might reduce your risk by fifty percent. These are all like well over ninety percent. Wow. I mean, okay. I mean, just hit it out of the park. These these vaccine companies and. Now, but I would say one of the things that's making me nervous is how quickly it came out because normally vaccines are, you know, years in trial. So what makes you feel like who cares? Like they, they, that you feel confident that it's still okay, even though it came out quickly. It's tough because, uh, you, you, it's a good question. I've, I've had a front row seat to a lot of, uh, a lot of terrible, uh, this past year. Um, all of us have a level of understanding that we can't trust our leadership and the organizations fully. We have to be careful. I think that's not news. That's since the, you know, since the Vietnam era and uh, Nixon, right? Sure. But um, so, you know, there's going to be, and, and now everyone's hyper, you know, what confidence in the government is like, what, 20%? <laughs> I mean, if that. <laughs> and, and for decent reasons, you're, sure. you know, and not, not because they're crazy, but because they've observed great terribleness that have made, led them to that. So, you know, the, it's a good question. Can we trust the FDA that approved these things? I, I feel so. I feel that you can. Some, some thoughts I have about this, why I, I have friends who have I've done the research. With, for Pfizer, they were one of the test sites. They were uh, involved in the science at some level. Nothing they saw raised alarm bells. The process is still based in the scientific method, which is the best only way to answer a question where you're not using your emotions. You're using, you know, very sound reasoning. And so a large problem with the FDA uh, and how it gets its stuff done is all of the paperwork and, uh, and and there might've been some, uh, 
some uh, expectations for a new vaccine that were born out of fear of getting sued or the people having any consequences. So they had to follow people for years before they were able to, was that necessary? Probably not. And I just fall back to, you know, there's a, there's a way of uh, reasoning things out that I found that I find very helpful from the Jesuits where you don't make decisions in, in based only on principles in isolation. You have to make real decisions in real time in this life with the situation you're given. So you'd use analogy. And here we have a situation where you have a terrible infection and you have the alternative, which is getting inoculated with a new vaccine. The consequences of that vaccine for the population are going to be far, far less than the consequences of people getting infected several times over from the virus, there will be people who get side effects of this vaccine. We can't predict who they will be. We can't predict what they will be. There might be someone who gets Guillain-Barre, which is an ascending paralysis you see sometimes with vaccines. There might be people who get horns that grow out of their head. Who knows? You know, <laughs> That's I mean, helpful, Nick. You, you just can't know. But all I know is that this virus is terrible. And so I'm recommending to every patient I see that they get this vaccine. And, and you just, you cannot, you can't say, well, I need to have perfect no knowledge that I'm not going to get harmed by this vaccine. That doesn't exist. It won't exist. It's never going to exist. You got to make decisions in real time. And by comparison, this is a far better option. So yeah, that's a great answer. Okay. So uh, just going back up to a different question. Um, how do you feel about the states that have, uh, some are now closing when this question was posed, it was uh, a couple months ago when like all states were opening bars and sort of going back to normal service since then. Now, especially things have been mandatorily shut down, but how did you feel when states were going back to normal operations? Yeah. I, I like, all I can think about is there was like, you know, I mentioned I have a front row seat to a lot, uh, you know, uh, this whole thing. And one of the things I've observed that has been interesting, I, you see that our sense-making organs, the media, is more about entertainment than being informative. They ignored this problem until it was in our doorstep and then they sensationalized it. And our politicians, which are supposed to be, they're, they're, they're sworn to protect us. It's one of the most important things they do. They're more interested in protecting the ruling class than they are in taking care of people, maintaining there, there, there has been zero leadership throughout this whole thing. And, and so everyone has had to decide what they're going to do for themselves. Their businesses have had to decide, am I going to stay open or am I going to stay closed? I remember you know, in St. Louis here, it's a pretty Catholic city. The archdiocese had to decide whether they were going to be open for Easter mass. And they were able to go so far as to say, you don't have to come for Easter. It was a sigh of relief when the city of St. Louis and the county decided to have a close everything policy in, back in April because people didn't want to make those decisions, you know. If they're stuck, am I going to feed the families that I pay a salary to at my restaurant or close out of some principle and by the way, not know how to, you know, feed myself, you're not going to close. It doesn't make any sense. Why would people make these decisions? All of us consider the greater good 
in our, in our daily little selfish decisions we make, but you know, there's still going to be at some level selfish. You got leadership as the only person in the room that's going to say for the greater good only, uh, we're going to make this decision. And, you know, yeah, there's plenty of people out there who have these, well, you know, what are we fascists, you know, fascists and close everything, communism, blah, blah, blah. I'm not worried about that because again, the thing in our face is this virus. You know, we can worry about if martial law is going to happen tomorrow. Right now, today, we want to not have everybody sick. And so especially back in April. So, you know, we in St. Louis right now have um, the count. Some counties have are fully open and, and the St. Louis County itself is closed, but the city is open. There's no leadership. Each individual municipality has almost had to make their own decision on what they're going to do. And they don't have all the science and they are have, you know, they're more parochial. So they have to bend to the knee of what the everyone screaming at them says, they're not going to be so worried about the greater good. And so, you know, whenever I see that like Jefferson County just had an outbreak and their hospital swamped and they may not have enough uh, events back in September, October, or, you know, now it's St. Charles or I, I just think, I get more about angry at about the the lack of leadership we've had in this country that that should have marshaled in some kind of a mask rule and uh, you know limitations to our uh, what we do and you know I'm I'm all about opening things back up but you have to be measured about that it's not all or nothing like everything else that any other real conversation you're going to have, there's nuance. And, uh, you know, at, at a national level, unfortunately, people aren't able to f- use the brain God gave them to think. They have to use tribalism and black and white thinking. People are either good or evil. They're not capable of being uncomfortable for a second when having a difficult conversation. They have to discharge their discomfort in a, some kind of a rage or screaming. Ma- I mean, if this is way more information you wanted for your question. But when I, when I see that a certain County is open, I just think, where's the fucking leadership. If I were to put money on it, which mm-hmm. this isn't, I, I would say that enough people will be vaccinated that restaurants and that could be opened as soon as April or May, you think? probably by June, because, you know, again, what you're trying to do is making sure that there's going to be a political answer here. It's not going to be, how do we protect a hundred percent of people? It's how do we maintain our resources and our once enough people will be vaccinated, the resources will be available to open up where you have enough ICU beds. Is that the marker? Is that why things are, it's just, it's a large part of it. I, you know, it's been a real civics lesson for me this year, how decisions are made at that level. Mm -hmm. I mean, the CDC and the who I'm so angry at them and everyone looks at Fauci compared to Trump, but Fauci is a a political animal too. He came out and said masks, it's black and white. Masks are helpful. They work. But initially so many of these organizations were saying no masks, no masks. Why? Because they wanted to protect their resources and they didn't want everyone and their mother going out and buying up masks. So they, instead of telling us the adult thing, which would have been, Hey guys, we are uh, not quite ready for this thing. Um, And although masks work really well, we're going to ask you to hang back and not buy a bunch of them right away. So we have enough time to stock the hospital centers and that, can you please be a deer and just be cool? 
I think that people would have responded well to that. Um, But instead of trusting the people that uh, elected them, they'd say, we're going to start going to outright lie to them. Yeah. That's what it felt like. That's what it was. And, you know, I had hospital administrators. I I wrote email to, I'm going to, I am going to wear a mask. You all should wear a mask too. And they said, well, actually, if you do wear a mask, your credentials are going to be threatened. So you, you mentioned that on the pot on your episode, like the previous okay, episode. I, and I was like, yeah. how is uh, it's, yeah. it's insane. It's, it's politics. Yeah. And, you know, it's the politics of people's lives. It is nuts. It is nuts. So they're, they're going to open back up because it's good for business when they're confident they'll be able to accommodate the consequences of it. And so that'll be. But do you think for those of us that are going to have to go back to work, not in the same way you are, but like those of us in customer service, do you think vaccine mask? And then we should feel pretty confident that we're going to be okay. Yeah. I mean, masks at a place where people are eating Eating. get a little bit sketchy, but everyone will have a, they're going to be looking for people by May and June to give vaccines to. I'm, I'm pretty, unless I'm, I'm hearing complete misinformation on how many vaccines are being made. All the essential people have them through January by February they'll be giving them to high risk individuals, nursing home, dialysis patients by February, March, they'll open them up to anyone over 65 with uh, at least one illness, pre-existing condition, whatever. They'll have the rest of that population probably by April and be opening it up to the general public. I would bet by May or June. And by that time, then you can guarantee at least in the cities, people will be relatively safe. And so then you can, and by then it, things will have calmed down and the, and the hospitals will be back to normal like they were in, you know, July and August. Well, and then it'll be summertime and that seems to assuage also, some of the, yeah. Right. Oh, that's, that's crazy to think about. So, that, I mean, it's, that's kind of how I think it'll end up playing out. They're going to, you know, in each county is going to have its own decision to when to do that. Like you could, Comedy store could open up in Johnson Jefferson County today. <laughs> oh, shut the fuck! Oh, yeah, because they they just don't get. Well, there's there's comics I know that are currently on tour, and I'm like, yeah. I mean, a bunch of comics have moved to Texas because they can openly perform there. Have you I'm thought like, about that? Just moving the comedy store on the road and go uh, to all yeah. the worst I places. Mean, you know, other comedy clubs are open. Other comedy clubs have fully shut down, meaning like they will not reopen after the pandemic, and new ones will yeah. come, and that's sort of the way it is. But. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I, you know, this is this has gone far longer than I think any of us, maybe not you, but any of us that knew nothing. We were like, oh, by May or June, of course, we're going to be back up and running. And it's like, no, no, we're looking down the barrel of another year. But yeah, it's, it's bad politics to talk like that. You yeah, know? yeah. Um, so it's it's unfortunate because I think if everyone knew what they were up against, like when, when this was in Italy and about to hit our shores hardcore in March, you know, it was clear this was going to be a year and a half to, to most people like me, you know, and, but most people don't have those expectations. So they're routinely upset or disappointed. Our, our, you know, government spending isn't where it needs to be because they're not preparing for that kind of a thing. They're preparing for a quarterly problem, not a annual problem. Sure. Uh, well, at least, I mean, I, I feel more hopeful with the, you know, the vaccine and mask thing that you addressed. So yeah, I'm really grateful that you talked about it. And thank you for giving me this much time. I'm so grateful. You're a very busy human. And, um, but you, you know, a lot of people listen to your episode and really liked it. So you should feel good. 
You're making a difference. Yeah. I mean, everyone was asking. (laughs) Everyone, Dr. (laughs) Nick, everyone. I just like that that can piss you off so much. I'm only referring to you as a doctor. It's a a slow Sunday, so I had to. Oh, fuck off. (laughs) You wanted to do this. (laughs) Fuck you. just adjust uh you guys are just shut down mm-hmm. it's, at least i'm not working on the front lines like your stupid ass like trying to save lives <laughs> at least i'm just trying to serve burgers and beer like <laughs> you you got into it <laughs> you're yeah, too committed those, some might call that the front lines <laughs> burgers and beer i don't know i don't know <laughs> that's where that's where everyone's catching it <laughs> jesus christ <laughs> okay right. nick thank you so much please tell your family i said hello i will talk, right. to, you. talk to you soon This podcast episode is dedicated in loving memory to Jeff Scott. We love you. We will miss you always. And we hope you're up there playing a little tune to intro the comics that have gotten there before all of us.